Good evening. Uh, this is um, my regular scheduled uh, going live uh, devotional time. And um, I really appreciate the feedback that I have gotten from some of you that are my friends. Really appreciate um, you letting me know this has been helpful to you. Um, if you've uh, not gotten the chance to let me know if it's something you're able to watch, I'd love to hear from you. Um, or if it's something that's just not a, not a good fit for your schedule, I'd love to hear that as well. But uh, trying to make this something that's useful for you all. Same time, I'll just be honest and transparent. It's something that's helpful to me just to take uh, the time to uh, put together the thoughts, to share them out, uh, to articulate the, the study in such a way that, I, again, I hope it is helpful. If you're following on Facebook, particularly, uh, one of the things I'll try to do each week is give you a little bit of a prompt. I think I just did it today, so it's probably not enough time, uh, but I'll try to give you a little bit of a prompt on Facebook. Uh, for something, if you're really wanting to study this, in other words, you're not just wanting to hear me talk about it, but you actually want to study this and grasp it on your own. Um, I'll, I'll give you some 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 uh, pointers, some uh, questions to reflect on, some study that you might pursue on your own. Um, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't. I don't have all the answers at all, but um, maybe we can help each other along this journey. Uh, today, we're going to look at the first three verses of Mark. We really spent a lot of time on verse one, so I won't probably spend a ton of time there, but we'll look at the first three verses of Mark. And as the little ticker tape across the bottom of my screen should indicate to you, uh, we're going to look at, Mark says in verse one, he's he's talking about the inauguration or the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tried to explain to you what that is. We'll recap that very briefly. But because of that, there's hope. And that's what we're going to look at in verses two and three, the hope that comes because of that inauguration, that coming, that beginning of Jesus Christ. So before I begin, I'm going to ask uh, the Lord for some help. And um, I hope you'll join me in that prayer, especially if you are truly trying to learn here. Uh, we only can do this not because Matthew Tilly is anything special, but because the Holy Spirit gives us some guidance. So uh, let's take a moment to pray and ask for his help. Lord, I do need your help. Uh, there are some people who are coming and because they like me or they appreciate my perspective or something like that. I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that support. But Lord, you know that I, I can give them nothing, uh, that none of these people on their own can really get anything without your Holy Spirit's participation. Please help us. We're not perfect by any means, uh, but make us as willing and available to hear your truth. Help us to understand it, and most importantly, help us to use it to live for you, with you, closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin just where you ought to begin with a Bible study like this, and that's just to look at the text for just a moment. I want to read that. Verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We talked a lot about that last night, but this is a, or last night, last time we talked, excuse me. Uh, and that was simply, and I'll try to articulate it very briefly, that is that John is saying this, what we're about to talk about, is the very start of the gospel, and that is a, is a political term of a victory, almost a military-like victory, this, this, this announcement that the old regime is gone and there's a new regime. And he says this, what I'm about to tell you, this whole book that... John Mark, the, the man who we believe is the author behind here that the Lord used to give us God's word. He said, I'm about to tell you what the gospel, what this 
announcement looks like. But ultimately, what I'm giving you, it's the headline of this whole thing. It is an announcement that Jesus, the Son of God, all man, all God, he has come in the flesh to overturn all the other all the other uh, governors and, and kings and, and leaders. He's come to do this, and I'm about to tell you about it. Now, he's not just saying this is the start of Jesus's ministry. He is saying that, but that's not really all of it. There's a there's another level to this. And he is saying this is the inauguration of King Jesus. And with all the pomp and all the circumstance that comes with a new king taking the throne, that's what is going on here. So with this inauguration, he is intending to inspire hope in those people who follow him. Now, I think I alluded to this when I when we talked about this last week, but I'll, I'll mention it again now. And that is John Mark, I believe, is writing to Roman Christians. That is his primary kind of initial original audience. I know that we read this and we're helped by it as well, but his initial audience would be Roman Christians. These would be people who uh, were not in the the, the center of Jesus's ministry in Jerusalem and places like that. They were, they were in the clearly pagan world of, of Rome. And they were, when they were in that situation and they are now following Jesus, this is not, this is not a good acceptable thing. They are actually bucking the system and, and all of the Roman culture would have been against them. So Mark is writing this Yes, to convey the, the the very real experiences of walking with Jesus. But he's also writing this to them to say, listen, folks, you've got a king and his name is not Caesar. You've got a king. His name is Jesus. And yes, the king that's on the throne now that everybody calls the king, the Caesar of the moment, the king of the moment, the culture of the moment, even though that feels like it's trying to push you hither and yon, trying to make you do this or that. It makes you feel just kind of stupid sometimes. He's saying, hang on a minute. I want you to know that your king, that's the, the gospel, your king has come and he is unseating all of those other kings. So he is writing this. I believe this book of Mark, while there, there's certainly other themes in here that we're going to we'll be able to examine if we spend more time in Mark, you'll see things like discipleship is a big, uh, the, you know, following Jesus, what that looks like. It's a big theme in this. But here at the beginning, what he's making point to say is, listen, Jesus is here and there's hope for you that follow Jesus. Now he's making that assertion. And again, I spent a lot of time in verse one. I didn't mean to do that tonight because I want to get to verses two and three. He makes that assertion in verse one, because in verses two and three, he backs that up or he grounds that assertion in Old Testament prophecy. Verse two and verse three are almost direct quotes. In fact, I think they are direct quotes from Old Testament passages. Verse two is quoting Malachi chapter three, verses one through six. Verse three is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verses three to eight. And the whole point of that, and I want to, I want to unfold this for you, but I want to give you the point so you kind of hear it and then we can, we can discuss it. The whole point is to remind, first of all, there's hope for sinful people. There's hope that God's promise to punish the enemy of God's people and to purify the sins of God's people. I want to ask you, if, if you don't mind, we're, I know we're studying Mark, but he's he's referenced in verse two, he's referenced Malachi. So I'm going to turn over to Malachi and uh, chapter three here, and I want to read some of that passage for you. Just if you happen to be have a Bible in front of you, follow along with me if you don't mind. Malachi chapter three 
And um, I'm going to begin reading here in, uh, well, let's, let's look at verse one. He says, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Now, just make sure you understand here. First of all, that sounds just like Mark chapter one, verse two, right? This is essentially the same verse. But he goes on, he says, listen, I'm going to send that messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And he says, I'm going to come suddenly, even the messenger of his covenant. Verse two, he says, who may, but who may abide the day of his coming? He says, who can stand when this messenger comes? Because this king is coming in and he's going to clean house. Essentially saying it's going to be a scary day to be on the wrong side of this king. You don't want to be on the wrong side of this king. He, he goes on. I'm just going to skip all the way down to verse five. This is chapter three, verse five of Malachi. And he says, and I will come near to you to judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false witness, a swearer, excuse me, and against those that oppress the hirelings and his wages, the widow and the father, fatherless. He's saying, I'm coming to avenge those people that have been done wrong. I'm coming to make right what has been done wrong. So if you're on the wrong side, if you're one of those, the sorcerers, the false swearers, you're somebody who's abusing people, you're a liar, you're somebody who's, who's taking advantage of people, it's a kind of a bad spot to be in. But here's the cool thing. If you're one of those people who've messed up and recognize you've messed up, but you know who the true king is, look what he says. If you go to verse two, go back to verse two. He says, I don't, I don't know who can stand against him, but it says in the last part of verse two, he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. A fuller's soap is <clears throat> just basically someone who's a cleaner, who's going to clean up things. He's going to clean things. Verse three. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. He's essentially saying, listen, um, I'm going to fix things. I'm going to fix things. And I love verse six. Just, I get excited reading verse six. It's really a really, really amazing verse to me. This is God talking to his people. He knows they've messed up. In fact, the whole book of Malachi is about how they've messed up. But he says, <clears throat> for I am the Lord. I change not. This is God saying, I, I, nothing's wrong with me. I am never changing. I am always perfect. Therefore, because of his unchangeableness, ye sons of Jacob, talking to the children of Israel, are not consumed. He says, listen, <clears throat> that king is coming. And yeah, all, all of his people's enemies better be shaking because he's going he's gonna to clean house. But his own people who... Let's be honest about it. None of us are perfect. We've not lived up to the right standard. This is God talking to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. And they've not lived up to the standard that they're supposed to live up to. But God says, listen, they're my people. And I'm going to make them right. Can I get you to go over to Isaiah chapter 40? This is verse 2. So if you were in Mark chapter 1 and verse 2, he quotes Isaiah 40. In the first two verses of Isaiah 40, he says, that he's gonna, he wants to comfort God's people. He's, he's giving comfort to troubled people. But look at verse 3. He says, <clears throat> The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, almost verbatim what it says in the King James Version in Mark chapter 1, verse 3. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make ye straight in the desert a highway for our, God, for our God. He is saying in those verses, listen, it looks like there's no way. In fact, even if you go to verse four, you can see this, uh, Isaiah 40, verse four, you can see this even more. 
it looks like there's no way. It, it looks like th the end is near. But what God does is he makes a way where there is no way. One of the things that you will see, if you go back and look as, if on your own as you read through Mark chapter 1 and 2, if you could keep in the back of your mind the Exodus story. You know the Exodus story? This is where Israel is enslaved in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. But God provides a Messiah-like person, Moses, a Savior, if you will. He brings, Messiah, brings Moses excuse me, into the picture, and Moses, because of God's leading, leads the people out of, it, out of Egypt. You know this story, I hope, for this point. But what's interesting is there's a point in that story as they led them out of Egypt, they're going to the promised land, and everybody's excited. There's a million-plus people walking through the desert, ready to go where God has for them. But the minute that they start heading out of town, they hit up against an obstacle. They have got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got Pharaoh's armies behind them. And it looks like there is no way that there is judgment before them water. There's judgment behind them, the enemies. But God has a way. He makes a way. What does he do? He literally parts the Red Sea. He makes a way <laughs> where there's no way. I, mean, I don't know how you are, but if, I mean, I can't swim. I could barely swim. If I had to save my life, I might be able to swim. Uh, but but as far as really actually doing much more than kind of chest deep recreational swimming, I can't really do it. So if there's a big body of water and I got to get to the other side, unless there's a way around, unless there's a bridge over, I'm not getting through. But God's people, a million plus people standing on that bank of the Red Sea and God says, here, I'm going to make a way. And he parts it. This is what God does. He cuts through judgment. He cuts through opposition and he saves his people. So to come back to the question, what is the gospel that John, or excuse me, Mark talks, John Mark talks about in Mark 1, verse 1? It's that good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has come into the world to depose dictators, to cleanse his people, to forgive them of their sin, to heal the damage, to turn people who were, would be under normal circumstances essentially against him to turn them into honored servants, to give us an open path to God. That's what he does. So in this way, his inauguration, that gospel, that announcement of his coming, it's hope for sinful people. It's hope for sinful people. Now, um, in addition to that, it is hope for broken people. It's hope for sinful people. It is hope for a broken world, a broken world. If it, I won't, I'm going to go back to Mark now. I think I'm finished with Isaiah at this point. I'm going to go back to the, the gospel of Mark. But if you were to go down in Mark chapter one and verse 15, I know I'm, I'm jumping way ahead, but he does talk about this kingdom of God being at hand. So if you think about it, he's a king and he's coming. So what does a king come for? It's coming for his kingdom. So what God, or rather Jesus specifically, God is doing here is he's preparing a kingdom. But that kingdom is kind of messed up. If you were to go back to Isaiah chapter 40, you would see that he has to make mountains low. He has to make valleys high. He has to straighten out crooked places. He has to make rough places smooth. He's got to fix some things. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 35, what God's going to actually do is he's going to put this highway of holiness that is going to make the deserts bloom. It's going to make sick people whole again. 
what Jesus is, what he's saying here in this passage in Mark chapter one is when Jesus comes, the world's messed up, but not only is he going to get rid of the bad guys, the, the dictators who are trying to run things and do things the wrong way. Not only is he going to do that, he's going to make this world suitable for his kingdom. He's going to fix things. He is going to, he is going to terraform uh, this world so that he can be, so he can give this world what it needs. See, Jesus's entrance into the world marks the beginning. And it's why I think Mark says in verse one, it's the beginning of the gospel. It marks the beginning of writing everything that's wrong, healing the damage that sin has caused, solving not just the problems that he does solve problems, but he solves, solves the source of the problem, reverses the curse. That's what he's ultimately doing. You'll, you'll see this ultimately coming together in places like the end of the revelation of Jesus Christ, where he makes all things new. That's where this is going to go. But right now he's saying, this is the beginning of that. You see, the, the, just to give you a practical application of this, there's a broken world that we live in and we can complain till the cows come home about how horrible things are. But the hope for fixing this broken world is not a better education system, not better politicians, not more religious practices, not more medicine, better science, more writing, activism, doing nothing, entertaining people, being nice, banning gun, guns, arming citizens. I mean, none of this stuff is what solves this. This broken world can only and will only be fixed when King Jesus ascends to that throne, and he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he is Lord of all. Now, is he actually Lord today? Absolutely. I, I believe he's not waiting for us to make him Lord, but there will come in the fullness of time. There's going to be that moment in time when God says, it's done now, and He, we do see that ushering in of all things new, but what we see in Mark chapter 1 is the beginning of that. Now, again, I, I think I, I want to close by saying this. This inauguration is not only hope for a broken world, it's not only hope for sinners, but it's also hope for a worried church. I'm imagining the, the handful of y'all that are listening and watching this, um, I imagine that, you know, based on what I've heard from you, you're, you're friends, you are people who love the Lord, you enjoy going to church. Uh, goodness sake, some of y'all even like preaching. Uh, so there's, you know, so I, I would consider you, most of you at least, I don't know your hearts for sure, but based on your testimonies, you're Christians. And Mark's writing this gospel <clears throat> to Christians. So I think there's this is a very, very good thing for us to think about that he's aiming this writing at people just like us, Gentile, Roman specifically, but Gentile Christians. You can see that as you study his style. You see that in how he explains some of the Judaic customs that would have been maybe a little unfamiliar to some of the, the, the Christian converts uh, that, are, that are not Jews. I think that you can see that in the timing. He's probably writing around Nero's, Nero's reign. Um, <clears throat> so you can look at that and see he's talking to Jewish Christians, excuse me, Roman Christians, Gentile Christians, who are under a lot of oppression, who are under a lot of of stress and persecution. And you'll even look, as I've already alluded to this, but in, I think it's chapters 8, 9, and 10, over into 11, where he really emphasizes, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be a high price to pay. And he talks about the cost of discipleship in that section, chapters 8 through 11. 
So he knows who he's talking to. He knows his audience. And I think, as I said, I think that audience looks a lot like the people listening to me right now. And it's notable how he starts, how Mark starts this account compared to the other Gospels. Matthew and Luke, both of them start with the birth of Jesus. And there's reasons that they start there, but Mark doesn't start there. John, he actually starts before time begins. You go, in the beginning, there was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, or in the beginning was the, is the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The, he, he starts all the way at the beginning. But where does Mark start? He starts now. And there's an immediacy to John Mark's writing that, that kind of emphasizes that. But he's he says here, this is the beginning now, right here, right, right now. I, I think there's... And this is my interpretation, so you can differ with me if you'd like, but I think there's a little bit of a poke in the eye at people like Nero and other Caesars of, of Rome who would try and think that they had some kind of a foothold on God's people, whether they're talking about the church or even the Jewish nation at the time. I think there's a little bit of a poke in the eye here saying, listen, I, I know times are bad. And I know that there's a, a guy in Rome who thinks he's in control, but... Let me tell you about the king that we serve. Let me tell you, and, he, and I think he's telling us this to bolster our confidence, that, that if we may feel like we're a minority, and the reality is, I think Christianity, true Christianity that follows Jesus, and, and it's not trying to overthrow the world, but literally trying to love people and show them the, the beauty that is Jesus Christ. Those people have been a minority from the beginning. And he's trying to say to those people that are, a minority and feel like they're maybe oppressed or overlooked or forgotten, or maybe you don't even see how it's going to turn out in a good way. He's saying, listen, it's going to be worth it all. Your King is in control. He's saying he's never, he's never trying to say, Oh, being a Christian is going to be acceptable one day. That's not what he's saying. Cause I, I believe that true Christianity has never been acceptable. I think true Christianity has always been, yes, it's been helpful to people. It loves people. It makes a difference in communities it's never been about trying to lord over other people, but it's always going to go against the grain of culture. And what he's saying to that worried church that says, man, how's this thing going to turn out? He's saying to him, listen, hold on. Your king is here right now. He has come. And let me tell you a little bit about it. So to wrap that up, I believe that this, these three verses are telling us that Jesus has come that he has come to give hope to sinful souls, people who need salvation, who need forgiveness, and he's here to give that forgiveness. He's come to give people who are bound up by sin, by addictions, by um, other, other pressures and pulls of life that makes them think, I just can't do any better. Maybe I was raised that way or I don't have any other hope. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to break free. I'm going to break you free. I'm going to, I'm the king and I'm the one that's in charge here. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you that fresh start. He gives that kind of hope to sinful souls. And he's given hope to a broken world. He is going to, he's the only one who can, he's the only one that will break in and create a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to see that one day. It's not here yet. I live in a beautiful part of the world, glad to live in a beautiful part of the world, but it's going to pale in comparison, pale in comparison to what God has in store one day that we'll get to live in every day with him. He's, he is the one who can fix this world that we even live in today. I don't think it'll ever be perfect, but I can tell you that where Jesus is and where he reigns, 
and his people are following him, truly following him. I think that's where you start to see marriages reconciled. You start to see families coming back together. You see communities that were at odds with each other starting to come back together. Is it ever going to be perfect? No, we're always going to have sin. We're always going to have strife. We're always going to have brokenness. But <clears throat> the inauguration, the coming, the beginning of Jesus's ministry and the beginning of his, his, his lordship, his kingship on this, world, on this earth, we can start to see babies being saved, innocent lives being helped. We can start to see people who've been abused, that abuse stop and healing can start to happen. We can see hearts change. We can see wars stop. I really believe that Christian people can have that kind of thing because we have the king who fixes a broken world. Ultimately, he will fix it with a new heaven and a new earth. But lastly, just to remind you, are you worried at all? If you're a Christian, you might be. And it can kind of be dark if you focus in on what Satan's doing in the world. And not to be the bearer of bad news, I don't. I want to be more optimistic than I am pessimistic, but I, I think we have to be realistic and say it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But John writes in 1 John, <clears throat> greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The coming of Jesus gives us hope. I hope that helps you. Next week, as we come back together, I'm going to try to do this at 7 o'clock on every Tuesday night. Um, may make some adjustments in that in the future, but for now, that's my plan. I'll plan to get back with you, and we will look at some lessons from Jesus' baptism. You'll see that starting in verse 4, picking up through about verse 11. Um, there's a lot I want to try to cover there, so I may take a couple of weeks to do that. I'm going to try not to rush through this just because it's fun for me. I hope it's interesting for you. But if you do study, and I'll try to give you these instructions uh, via Facebook, if you if you do follow me there, um, read the passage in light of the Exodus account. I think that'll give you a lot of insight if you'll read it in light of what Jesus, or rather the Lord did for Israel <clears throat> in Exodus, and you see what Jesus does as he goes through the waters of baptism. I think you'll see that. And, and, and an interpretive help, I think, might be helpful to look at the water as the judgment of God, as a symbol for the judgment of God. Read it in that light. I think that can that can help you there. But we'll spend a couple of weeks on this, understanding what Jesus' baptism means for us, what John's role in that means to us. There's a lot to really cover there, but I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. I hope this has been helpful to you. Please uh, drop a comment or something or, or reach out to me. Some of you know how to contact me directly. Feel free to do that. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, questions, anything like that, you put it in the comments <clears throat> or get it to me. I'll do my best to address those comments or questions rather in future episodes. And if, even if it's a, I don't know how to answer that, I'll at least address it. But uh, thank you for joining me. Y'all have a great night.